Slam talk. And we're live with our 124th episode of Absolute Absolute. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Loss at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say I. Hey, everybody. I, I just wanted to screw Ken up this today, right? Uh, yeah, we, we, we were just going off pre-show and... Yeah, apparently I was talking and we went live. So there we're at. So so maybe maybe I'll have to actually cut this one. That's yeah. Nah, anyway. nah. Well, because we got asked to do so. Maybe just bring some of the banter that we have of catching up. Because for those who are just tuning in or are unfamiliar, this is actually like Seth Seth and I's way also to like keep up with each other because we're both obviously pretty busy people. So like this, uh, we we talk on you and I talk on Slack a little bit, you know, throughout the week for sure, but. Man, I feel like when we get together on these uh, podcasts, we actually get to like, because there's the pre-show banter, there's the podcast, and then afterwards we usually talk for a little bit. And it just, I mean, honestly, it's like having my uh, weekly therapy session with you, I swear. So tell me how you really feel, Ken. <laughs> yeah, you're like so, for the bad man. It, Seth's so like even kill and his voice and everything is might as well be my therapist. Like. <laughs> anyways which was what we were talking about we're both a little going yeah. a little uh stir crazy right now so it's it's uh uh so we and on that note we're working towards a way to get off of this carousel and back to maybe more in-person things uh so stay tuned i don't want to like unveil it yet but stay tuned for for more information on that for sure there's some developments going on behind the scenes as we try to stop going crazy and trapped inside our houses and stuff so yeah yeah may have to do with the uh the group that helped put on other uh previous uh yeah Yeah. spring and summer fall summer solstice cons right well we'll see um but there's there's some stuff going on in the planning stages and yep yep ken's right we're developing our own vaccine it's the oh my god (laughs) yes <laughs> yeah we figured yeah, it out that, we figured it out that's, that's definitely what it is yeah. um outside of that like we don't have a lot of announcements right i you know I, I, <laughs> there's some virtual stuff going on but you and i have kind of given up i i think that's, that's kind up. of the general feeling <laughs> on, right? the yeah, we, on the virtual we've given up uh, we're still doing some training courses and other things like that but um yeah, yeah if, if you're interested, right, jump into Slack, hit us up. There's a, a couple, you know, things that we're doing, you know, but that, those are more private trainings at this point. Um, we don't have anything public, publicly yeah. planned right now. But but as soon as the conference opens up, we'll be the first to submit, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> the very uh, first, likely, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, like an in-person conference, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I actually did have one thing to, I was laughing because you said we haven't done, I was like, I do have one thing to mention that I'm the world's worst procrastinator and no, no, no. So Saturday I was telling you before the show, I competed uh, for jujitsu, which I don't know. Have I ever mentioned that on the podcast that I compete or whatever in that stuff? I'm not sure. I don't remember. Either way, that's what I do. I'm sure it came up at some point, but yeah. Yeah. Go for it. For a hobby, that's what I do. So Saturday was eating completely up with that. And then Sunday, I had like all the errands to run that I couldn't do during the week and that Saturday. So like, sorry, uh, Lee and Derek, I will get your stuff out. I actually almost went this morning to do it. And again, I had a new puppy duty. Uh, so 
couldn't couldn't do it. But I am going to get that stuff to you. That's my promise to you. I apologize. On the uh, I was supposed to do it this weekend, but I got hung up. Um, but yeah, so that's a uh, swag. Another round going out. I actually need to reach out some to some of the former speakers from our last virtual conference too to make sure that they they are getting their stuff as well. Yeah. But yeah, um, man. What else has been going on with you before we drink? Because we got like a few topics, but you know, what else has been going on with you uh, while we, uh, before we get into that? Um, let's see. We've been, I don't know. I, I mean, it's snowing where it has. It's actually warmer here. I guess there's not a lot, man. That's, that's just it, right? Like, I, I, I don't know. Um, where else to go with that? Um, yeah. yeah, from a, I mean, from a research perspective, there's been a lot, I, I have been playing, oh, this is interesting. Those of you that do mobile assessments and we need to get Kevin Cody back on to talk about this too, but I don't, I'm not sure how much he's doing anymore. The, um, I've got one of the M1 Max and I've been playing with the iPhone and iPad apps on the M1 Mac, like running natively and doing the assessments there as opposed to on a jailbroken device. Um, it's been an interesting exploration, right? Between Frida, between running locally, um, actually running, like pushing the app through Burp Suite. Um, I mean, the API stuff is all pretty much the same once you get it into Burp Suite, but the the running of those apps natively is an interesting is a, is an interesting side effect of uh, this move by Apple to the same chip as they've got in the iPhones and iPads. Um, and I, it definitely has made life a little bit easier on that front. Um, I'm wondering if I'm going to have to keep as many jailbroken devices around, right? Like the, the whole history of, oh crap, you know, I need a jailbreak for whatever, you know, iOS version I happen to be on, um, may actually go down a little bit, but we'll, we'll see what actually happens. I know there's some, there's been some talk about how Apple now allows the app developers to restrict whether or not the app can run on OS X um, as opposed to iOS. But in, in practice, I found that most people don't, they haven't updated the app store versions. So you can go download those and run them natively on your Mac device. Now it's not, I, I mean, it's not developed for it. So like some of the interaction is a little strange, um, a lot like running within an emulator or simulator, uh, but it's fast, super fast. So. Yeah, I remember. But, um, yeah, what was it? Jenny Motion. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that. I don't know. I, that might have just been for Android. But man, any simulator has always been terrible. Dude, yeah. Just yeah. really bad. Like really sluggish, really slow, full of all kinds of bugs. Um, at least, well, I shouldn't say that. I should say that back in six years ago, maybe six or seven years ago. So I, you know, I, that's when my mobile testing died down back then mm-hmm. so yeah but you're right. right we should get kevin cody back on to talk about some of this stuff yeah it, and i mean i know jp too right like had done a bunch of that i don't know if he's doing that for you guys anymore or if he's still over that but it would be an interesting yeah, discussion to to kind of refresh that like what tools are people using um i know i saw in one of the slack channels we're in people were talking the now secure like mobile testing lab that they send out now uh, which is a Mac device with, you know, with 
preloaded or pre-jailbroken iPhone and or rooted Android devices with Frida and everything set up on it um, to get you going as far as pen testing mobile applications, right? Um, makes me go back to the days when you know I was I was working with Justin Angler on the Sierra Tool stuff, and I'm like, dang it, we should we should have put it together. But um, yeah, that was a whole history with Fish Net, and yeah. Anyway, we don't want to get too much mean, into that. You mean that time you weren't allowed to have your? <laughs> What's not that? at all? I'm not bitter, not at all. Oh yeah, I was gonna say it was, yeah yeah that time you were not allowed to use the product you built in open source. Yeah. Makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. No reason to be bitter over that hard work that you put out <laughs> the black hat talk and DEF CON talk you gave that promoted the business and all that. And, no, no, <laughs> no, none. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I yeah, miss those days, man. I never thought, I never thought that you would hear me, Ken Johnson saying, I miss going to Vegas. <laughs> You were always I so literally, miserable. Zero times in my life did I ever think that. <laughs> and that really proves that the grass is truly greener on the other side of things. So, um, yeah. But, uh, man, I do miss those days, man. I miss the – you remember when we were at Fishnet when you were giving those talks and, like, man, they took us out in, like, a limo for, the, for all the consultants. They took us to, like, nice dinners. We all got to hang out with each other and spend all day just, like – going to talks, hanging out in the hallway cons, sharing new tools. We, we, they had rented, um, that, uh, they had rented that, uh, one year, the big, like, it was uh, like a hangover suite style thing where we could all hang out and we were going up there and just giving like our own fire talks to each other about the work we were doing. Plus we could watch the talks down there. Plus we could all just like hang out, have some drinks, have some chats. It was like, Looking back now is like glorious, you know, it's like I'm getting a little tear right now. Just thinking about the happiness that we had at that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I mean, the recent ones that you've been to, you've been so busy running the hacker one events that yeah, it's in and out. Right? But, yeah. Those you're right. Like during those hacker one events, man, I pretty much just like, I'm, you're right. Cause what ends up happening is we are there for, uh, like the latter end more so some of the defcon time that that you would use to go to defcon but we end up doing this the the event side by side and there's a lot of pre-event during the event post-event stuff which ends up and also like the next day when you get a few hours of sleep you have to triage until we were triaging until like again and back to the evening you know, so we go back, we get a little sleep and then we go triage again. And so then by the time you know it, it's time to fly out. And it's like, I missed you. I mean, last time I was there, I missed all of my friends. Basically. I, I think I got to hang out with you for a little bit. Stefan, we did the podcast where we had, uh, Oh yeah. 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 We, uh, yeah. We had Heather, Bobby, Stefan, Bobby tables, yep. everybody. Yeah. From that, that, that TOB crew. That was a lot of fun. We had, yeah. we had German, we had German dinner. That's right. That's right. <laughs> This is where we're at, people. We're just remembering like old times. (laughs) We're not planning anything new. It's just, yeah. Uh, Remember when we could all go to a restaurant, get together from all across the country? It was glorious. Yeah. Yeah. So which thing do you want to get into, man? Um... I, don't, I, I mean, I, I feel like we should address the top 10, um, at least like, I, I don't know if you've looked over the list yet, right? Uh, the stuff that came out of Port Swigger, 
it was a couple weeks ago and we didn't even talk about it last week. Right. Um, yeah. but the I looked at a couple of them, but yeah. Web hacking techniques from 2020. Um, there's, a, there's some good stuff in there. And, um, like I can, I can talk to yeah. a couple of them as in things I've actually had happened, uh, before. Yeah. Well, let, maybe let, not. Let, let's, yeah. Let's, let's do that. I, I, I mean, overall, overall, right. They're very interesting attack techniques for sure. The one thing that I'm, that I'm struggling with a little bit on some of these is how, how specific they are to, to products, right? Like you've got your smuggling HTTP headers through reverse proxies, your NAT slipstreaming. Um, I don't know. Yeah, some of the XSS and PDFs. I don't, yeah, I, go ahead and talk through like what you've actually seen in the bug bounty on the bug bounty side of things because I feel like that's where a lot of these these pop up. It's going to be interesting to contrast what comes from uh, from the OWASP top ten this year with kind of these top ten web hacking techniques and to see where they actually slide right into the in the awareness document that is the top ten. But. Yeah, I'm kind of okay. Well, so it's not exactly. I have, I'm actually trying to read up on the Image Magic one, the Image Magic shell injection via via PDF password, because I did deal with the image uh, tragic, uh, image tragic, but actually not so much that as as the Ghost Script one. Um, and so for that one, that was really interesting because uh, Tavis from Project Zero, Tavis or Mandy, um, found that. With Image Magic, uh, so if you're not familiar with Image Magic Library, for those listening, it is a URL, or URL an image, uh, obviously, an image rendering, resizing, and essentially manipulation of images library. That's really what it does, right? And um, so you can support all kinds of encodings and language languages and such. And GhostScript was enabled by default on um, most, uh, you know, like most apps that were running uh, image magic or had the image. And I'll, honestly, that's the interesting thing too, is that so many of the, you talk about supply chain stuff like we've been talking about. And then, uh, so what's interesting is how many libraries actually use image magic under the hood. And you don't really necessarily know that if you're not kind of paying attention to your supply chain. And um, anyways, so you might have, you might've been using the library and not even known it. And, you know, all it takes is like, and, an image gets uploaded, it gets resized. So you perform some operation on it. And, um, and then, you know, the, in this case, in the last case in 2018, GhostScript, when supported, uh, can do things, right? Like make calls out, run code, get, get a nice little remote code execution when you upload, a li uh, upload an image. So this one, um, I'm trying to, as I'm like, talking about it. I'm actually trying to read this as well. Um, it looks honestly similar. So it's shell injection via PDF password. Um, da, da, da. So have you had a look, chance to look at this one yet? Oh, the, um, no, I haven't. I haven't really looked at, oops, I put that up there again. That's not what I meant to do. Um, no, the shell injection one. Oh, oh, through Im image magic, right? So SVG gets invoked. It, it has a URL mm -hmm. uh, dot C coder that gets called. It's um, reading the files. So the entry point, an encrypted PDF. 
Um, so that's the attack. So an encrypted PDF, presumably with a password. Um, and there's injection in, it looks like that bit. So you have a passphrase. If the passphrase has some data in it, the passphrase used to encrypt the PDF, it looks like, again, this is all, you know, we talk about all the time. It's cool. It's variation though of other things. So it's like, you, you kind of just unpack like what's this specific manifestation and then secure against it. And that might be like change upgrading the library. It might be changing, changing support for, I don't even know how you would, would you like disable your, I don't know, price says somewhere here what you would do. Um, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's gotta be in the library. Cause it, I mean, when it comes down to it, you look at what's going on underneath the hood and it feels like XML injection, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> so it's an MA, so it's a certain image magic libraries, um, image magic seven, some six versions to do. Oh, so it looks like there's actually going to be patches for this one, not a, you disable certain things. Like for instance, the fix for the 2018 one was just disable that go, disable ghost script. You have like, mm -hmm. there was like an XML file um, where you could, uh, it had like a full gigantic list by default of all these like, in, like uh, um, scripts or encoding libraries. I don't, can't remember that it supports, I think a combination of both. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah. So this is really just, it looks like an injection of, data that's scary that's or that you know does something you wouldn't expect into the passphrase yeah i i mean i always get this like I, I get this question when i'm talking to um developers about the OWASP top 10 right like they're like oh injection is number one and i always go back with well sql injection is not very common anymore but all these different injection attacks are where we see the most devastating effects Right, just like this, right? Shell injection via PDF because of image magic, because of how it's actually being processed behind the scenes. And this is a user controlled like SVG in this case, right? That's embedded in a PDF. Like th that's a, a difficult thing to suss out from a development perspective because you are dependent on, you know, image magic and some of the other like libraries and applications that are running locally. But I, I mean, this is the reason that injection is always up there on the OWASP top 10. And, and way we, why we talk about it is because of the, yeah, the devastating nature of those attacks when they actually do occur, even though it may only happen once in a while. You're catching oh my up goodness. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because it's just, it's just, it's just an injection again. That's, you know, I'm not to say it's just, that sounds so like demeaning. I don't mean it like that. What I mean is like cool research. First and foremost, let me be specific. Very cool research. Thumbs up. Yeah. The vulnerability, though, is what I'm saying is, is another pretty standard classic injection vulnerability, right? Double quotes to close things off and open things up. Just a parsing of user supplied input incorrectly. Really what it is. Which is very, again, I want to be very clear. I'm not dismissive. That's very cool. We need this research. Keeps people on their toes. Keeps people aware. It's good keeps us secure, but it's not necessarily something that's, you know, and it doesn't need to be groundbreaking. It needs to be a way to break in. So that's what yeah. it is. It's very cool. Um, I thought the other one that we should, I, I, like, I don't know about today. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. What were you going to say? 
Oh, I, I was just going to say, like, it always goes back to these, this idea of user trust, right? That we have, um, that we're accepting something and then it, like, it, this always makes the case of the whole fuzzing techniques that we talk about, right? Like, just being able to figure out what's acceptable from the user and fuzzing each of those different parameters. In this case, it just happens to run through an interesting pathway that we don't necessarily think about when we're building an application. That's, that's all I was going to say. So yeah, what other right. do you want to talk about? And I Which, mean, we could do a deeper dive next week too on it. Yeah. Oh no, that's what I'm saying. I think next week we need to do like a deeper dive on H2C. Cause it's pretty, I mean, that one seems pretty interesting. Um, and similar to the web socket smuggling, but like in James Kittle's own words, he said possibly more practical. Um, but it is like, it. Lo- I, I skimmed it. So please, like I don't read it yourself. Like don't go off what I'm saying, even though that's the point of this podcast, but I skimmed it and it looked like it was a, there. there's an ability to just have plain text communication. And if the front end sort of sitting that does SSL TLS termination isn't aware of the uh, H2C, the the HTTP2 to clear text translation there, if it's unaware uh, or that, sorry, that uh, ability to, to switch communication channels like to that, uh, then I think the, the, I think that you can take over the channel um, is basically what I thought it said. But uh, yeah, I don't know if you had a chance. I think this one deserves more time to give it a proper run through because it looks like it's, first of all, it's number one on the list. And second of all, it looks really interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I, I have not had time to dig into that. Like this whole like H2C smuggler that he wrote as well, but it looks pretty dangerous. I, I do. I do want to give a shout out too. like the Bishop Fox labs guys have been coming out with some really good research recently. Um, just over the course of the last year, there's been quite a few things that have popped up there that, I mean, I, I don't know how much Andrew, our friend Andrew is involved with that, but uh, there's been some really cool, yeah, some some really cool papers that have come out of there. Oh, the other one that I was looking at was the JSON interoperability stuff recently too. That's that Jake Miller, that same, yeah. He's been doing some really cool stuff over there. Oh, the secure graph. Which one was that? Can you remind me? J- the JSON interoperability yeah, here, let me pop it. It just went to their blog, and then I got reminded that we did talk about um, these. Uh, there's been a few interesting ones that have, have come up that I've read over the course of just the last couple of weeks, right? So yeah. this one um, was exploring JSON and how JSON is parsed by different libraries. So the, that main example, if you pull up that or you see the the site, let me drop it in StreamYard too on the show. Yeah. Um, the idea is it, it's almost uh, JSON confusion, right? So depending on the library that you, you use, you, um, the way that JSON is parsed is you can have the same, like in a dictionary, you can have the same key multiple times. And um, like, I think the spec says the last one is the one that should be valid right? If you do see something multiple times, but that's not always the case. Um, 
And depending on how you're passing that JSON back and forth and Python versus Ruby versus Java libraries or .NET libraries for parsing JSON, you can actually introduce vulnerabilities into code that you're not aware of just because of how that interoperability works. It's, a, it's, it's interesting research. Like he doesn't come out with any sort of like, hey, there's this you know, groundbreaking thing, but it's another thing that you should be testing from a you know, pen tester perspective, right? What happens when I add in another price field or another whatever, right? Like into this registration blob or this cart. And yeah, it it was just one of those things that was like, huh, yeah, it makes me think again, you got to go back to kind of the groundwork on these anyway. No, you're right. Um, Hold on real quick. I sort of started dying laughing uh, while, I, while I was reading this, and that's why this 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 image here. If I can, <laughs> yeah, that that cracked me up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that's why I like I like yeah. I had a, a kind of lost it. I'm just trying to read through the, the post. You, yeah, that makes sense. You know, numbers don't need to be very specific when you're dealing with money, right? I mean, yeah, no, no, not at all. I, I, I didn't just find, you know, the ability to put a negative, you know, item in a cart, and, you know, have it actually succeed. So, yeah, that sounds very fun. Yeah. Sounds very fun. Yes. Good times. Good times. Good times. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, that makes sense. Like, I, I, so what would your recommendation be? Move to YAML? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go back to XML. XML has no problems. <laughs> just make sure to have DTD enabled. It's all good. Yeah, that sounds like more stuff you have to deal with. Yeah. Well, I I mean, it it goes back to that JSON library, like what it is you're actually using. Uh, Most people that are using like the Python JSON, whatever, right? Like it's probably not going to be an issue. Um, But again, you've got to do validation on the server side, right? Like you have to validate what's coming from the client and whether or not it's expected. I, that's that's really the only thing that I can say. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. D- Derek had a question, by the way. I, I like. I want to make okay. sure I get this right. Well, clarify that this is the correct question because the question is: What security risks do you guys see from an intranet perspective, and should developers still be as uh, security conscious? <clears throat> if that is, if there's no more things attached to it, like if it's not like, if this isn't a follow on to something else we had said, and it's a standalone by its own question. Um, like I, I think I'm happy to, cause this is actually, this has definitely come up in our careers. I know our mutual careers many times that question comes up. Um, and yeah, so I, I don't think it's any surprise to anybody watching this podcast that our answer is going to be, yeah, it definitely matters and they definitely need to be security conscious. Um, what's harder to get is the, the nuances of the reason. And it's like, I mean, I think ideas have evolved in terms of like, hey, you know, back in the day, it was harden the perimeter, don't worry about the inside. And then over time, we've learned that that was a very flawed approach. Um, and this is the same concept, right? Internet, I think, is is just... You don't want to have a, a, and also like, you know, sometimes internet sites host some sensitive information. Um, even if they don't, uh, remember that we have things like DNS rebinding and we have SSRF and ways to further pivot throughout the network. And if you have something that is wildly insecure being hosted 
inside your network, whether it's a web app, whether it's a server, whatever it is, it's going to become a foothold and a way to continue to pivot throughout the network for an attacker. So it could be that the internet site itself, it has some juicy stuff or a way to distribute, you know, uh, XSS that calls back to somebody and provides like more network gathering information or something like that. Or it could just be like, Hey, this is like a way for me to set up shop. It's got SQL injection or it's got OS, uh, command injection or it's got RCE or, you know, like to your point about oh, going, going back to the whole RCE and image magic, when I dealt with it, it was that, it was actually mostly on intranet sites that it was vulnerable. And it was a huge deal to us um, simply because like I said, if, if your in, if your intranet is, is soft and gooey and someone can exploit it pretty easily, then they have a foothold into your network. So, or sorry, yeah. a further, a further way to continue to be inside your network without your knowledge. So I don't know. What's your thoughts, Seth? Anything I'd add? Yeah, I, I mean, personally, it's a, uh... Like it, it, it all goes back to the, the idea of conducting some sort of a threat model, right? Like what, what your appetite for risk is. Um, and, but that being said, I, I mean, we conduct, we conduct red teaming activities and most companies do just for this purpose, right? Is to see how soft and squishy that inside is. Because if we're not up to date and somebody can get in, I mean, most of the big breaches that we see nowadays are because someone gets insider access. And once they do, they're able to exfiltrate data, they're able to do things unintended. And I mean, the whole SolarWinds stuff, how long did that live for, right? And it's that, and all that takes is one little library, one little, soft point in a network that allows for that is not monitored and allows for that sort of access. So, I, I mean, it does go back to a risk um, ranking or, you know, a risk profile of what you, what's acceptable to you and your org. Um, but it, it's hard to say anymore that it's just that, that soft, that hard outer layer is all you need. Um, even running things like containers. I know we do things to limit the risk, of applications, you know, short-lived containers, short-lived, you know, we use lambdas, so data doesn't live around and it, you know, it's protected in certain ways, but there's always that backend component and there's always the human component that we've got to be aware of that, uh, that an attacker can take advantage of, right? I'd actually like to get John Poulin on here to talk about that because he's he's definitely spent some time researching container sandboxing and like how effective that is and the methods that people are using. Sorry, I mean just this thing, the methods that people are using and like uh, how effective they are and uh, man, less than you would think in terms of effectiveness. Um, so that's really? a good point about yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to talk about it because I want I would I'd rather see somebody like him talk about it, but. Um, and like give a fully fleshed out sort of a, a, a summary of, of what he found and, and what he's seen. And, and well, uh, that would, yeah, that would be, that would be good. Cause I know like I keep running into this as, as a, you know, external third party coming in, doing an assessment on an application, you know, we find some sort of an RCE and they're like, well, yeah, but we've got that inside of a container and, you know, who cares if you can get Etsy password out of a container that's short-lived anyway? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, but I know there's escapes out there. But, it, you know, 
as a as an application security person, I'm usually not tasked with, hey, you know, see how far you can get within the network, right? It's more prove that this exploit exists and give it a risk ranking. And so having a discussion about how how risky that actually is would be a would be a good one. So we'll we'll reach out to JP and we can go from there on that. Sure. Yeah. No. Um, there was a comment by Lee with uh, the H two C issue um, would further exacerbate some issue like that if the internet site was you know, using a reverse proxy, which is feasible. I mean, just because it's internal doesn't mean you don't want it to be behind you know some sort of reverse proxy for whatever reasons you may have. Um, you may be like a large company. Yeah. Um, with a lot of users. Well, he's absolutely right. You know, as far as like those Nginx reverse proxies go, uh, right? Like, I mean, one of the things that we've seen a, an uptick on is the ability to throw a different host header in there and actually pull back data from other systems because they are running all of their app traffic through a reverse proxy, right? Yep. Um, so it's like, it's usually kind of outside of the scope of what I look at when I'm examining an application. Um, but if it is more of, hey, what is that, like a red team activity, that is uh, that is a completely valid attack that's being exploited in the wild right now. Absolutely. And by you know, security researchers, like the, the bug bounty guys are on top of that, right? Which is partly why it's popping up in that web, you know, web hacking techniques from 2020. I've seen some red team operations recently and like yeah. the results of that. And you're, all of this seems pretty spot on. So yeah, that's... That's awesome. Uh, cool. Agreed heavily, but without more information. Yeah. <laughs> the um, <clears throat> I was going to mention um, we had a couple other topics to sort of discuss, but the one I felt was important to mention, if you're okay with it, like converting, moving on to, was the OWASP, uh, the OWASP um, financial reform initiative. Okay. Sure. Yeah, so uh, I just saw this today. Andrew Vanderstock put out on, um, and I have the link, but my sl- it's the weirdest thing. Slack always gets super slow whenever we do these podcasts. It's crazy. But in the OWASP community, OWASP hyphen community channel on the OWASP Slack, um, Andrew Vanderstock put out a link to a meetup, which is why I'm going slow and trying to find that link, uh, or a series of meetups rather, around financial reform. The interesting, the more like interesting um, bits of that would be that instead of, I guess, and I don't really know, it's been a while, but I think that the way it worked was, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, OWASP ran events and OWASP runs events and they make money from that. And then that's distributed out to the chapter based off of needs. Um, And also I think the chapters collect their own uh, their own, um, donations, uh, and memberships and whatnot. But like, yeah, essentially the, I think the way it worked is the primary, primary, primary financial, uh, support for OWASP was through events and sponsorship at those events. I think that that's the way that it works. So let me get this link here. No, no. Yeah. I found, I, fa- I found one of them. Here's the, I'll post it Oh, up. thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So this is going to be a, one of the options. Yeah. Yeah. So this is going to be a more decentralized. The idea is there's going to be some improvements around this less like let's run events to make money and fund OWASP that way. And more of a, 
Uh, chapters are going to be uh, more decentralized, more autonomous in their financial um, activities and how they collect money and how they, you know, because obviously at the end of the day, yes, this is, it's an open, it's an, it's considered like an open source sort of collective of information. But at the end of the day, you still need money to, to make all of this run. So uh, it makes sense. And there's been a lot of, I mean, I think what I'm trying to say is I think this is really interesting because, you know, there have been so many OWASP needs to do this and OWASP needs to do that. And they're making mistakes here and they're making mistakes there. And uh, to see something that's, I think we've seen some initiatives over, over time that have been really positive and, op- and make me a, a bit more optimistic about the future of OWASPs. You know, I think that one of the things they got, small things to big things, like small, not a small thing, but kind of a big, it doesn't change the the, the, the course forever for OWASP, but I think just getting off the, the whole wiki the whole wiki pages they were on before and moving to like a better, more collaborative um, way of doing it. And I'm not saying that because they moved it to GitHub. I'm saying it, it doesn't matter if they put it on GitLab or Bitbucket or whatever, a way to like uh, for people to like submit pull requests about changes they want to see in a, in a way to like ultimately work where developers are, which is in some, it doesn't matter the brand, you know, some source code, um, centralized repository product like that. Um, the other thing though, but like I said, this is the finance, this is a big one though. I think the financial reform is a huge one. I think that's going to change things um, for the better. So yeah, I'm hoping. Well, yeah. I, I, I mean, you've been intimately involved with OWASP chapters in the past, right? And I am here in Salt Lake city as well. It's, I don't know. Like it, it, it's interesting how everything goes back to the mothership right now from a financial perspective. And um, like, you've got very high performing or high value OWASP chapters that bring in a lot of money. You've got others that are, uh, you know, I mean, you're going to have that in any organization where you have those smaller places where you kind of need, need the support from the bigger ones to make sure it runs. I mean, this is a global organization. Um, so, so I'm interested to see what that plan actually is. I'm glad you brought it up because it is, it is something that I'll have to jump on and see, uh, you know, what the future I'm actually holds. Logging, I'm actually logging in right now just so I can sign up for it. And, and, and <laughs> it's funny you say that because I'm like in the middle of like signing up at the moment. Nope. Nope. You're, you, yeah, you're fine. Yeah, because yeah, um, I, I mean, I, I think we would all like like to see that push further, you know, um, and even from like a yeah member like value prop, um, you know, what what a member gets for signing up and um, like what they're involved in. Yeah. So yeah, it's tomorrow. So it's actually is this? Oh, it's next Wednesday morning. Next Wednesday. At- 7 a.m. my time. So like five in the morning, your time. Uh, yeah, so, that's it, not going to happen. There's more. There's there's more under events. <laughs> He's got like multiple options. 5 p.m. that same day, right? So Eastern. Uh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Did you see that? The, oh, my goodness, man. So it led to an 80 plus percent drop. Sorry, COVID led to an 80 plus percent drop in their income. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah, which which is not fragility. surprising to me. Yeah. Because they like most of their income was based on the national events or the global events that they run. 
and attendees going there and then signing up, you know, based on the trainings and the conference. And then, so yeah, like I, I don't think they have the same sort of model um, as like ISC squared, right? Like as far, as far as, Hey, people like people certify and then they pay on an annual basis and right. That that's their main flow of income. Their main flow of income has definitely been those events that they run on a, and going virtual. I mean, honestly, like it's hurt everyone. Right? Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it's good. Except that for try- I mean, yeah. yeah except yeah. for zoom, zoom's killing the game, probably <laughs> slack too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now, um, yeah, we'll see if it, I mean, it, you know, it's another one of those things that's interesting to see, you know, I, I obviously it wasn't, uh, you know, it was COVID that brought it to light. Um, but it was, I mean, it's not like this problem hadn't been there. I mean, we even pre COVID, you could say that it's due to COVID and all that. And then I think COVID exposed just how fragile, but let's be honest, man, like finances for OWASP were not good, uh, far before COVID. Like they were not good. It was, it was, they, there were a couple missteps here and there. Um, location choices for their events didn't really pan out the way that they had thought. Um, it don't, happens, but it, uh, you talk about fragility. Uh, yeah, uh, I think that that alone showed it. But then, you know, you throw COVID on top of – and that's the other thing, too. Think about that is that they didn't have a chance to recover from those missteps before we went right into COVID. Right? Yeah. We, and, it, and it wasn't missteps in the sense of like – obvious to everybody. I don't think, you know, I think it was like, there were some surprises um, on like people's appetites for certain locations and stuff. And it is what it is. So, um, but it's unfortunate that right after those, there was no chance to recover financially, you know, and then you go right into a pandemic. So, but positive stuff, man, positive stuff. I think change, changes are good. Changes need to happen. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean that. I think that's part of the reason we were looking forward to Andrew taking over that role. Is he's been so familiar with OWASP over the years that he kind of knows where the you know where the skeletons are buried and what needs some more attention. So, um, if OWASP yeah. ran events like Postman Galaxy, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what I didn't, I, I, that's new yeah. to me. Yeah, Postman, uh, like they ran a, a conference here recently, um, but it was all virtual. I'd like it'd be interested to see what Lee liked about it. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm that's, new, that's new to me. I'm, I'm not super familiar. <laughs> so, yeah. Hmm. Postman Galaxy. Interesting. Um, there was another thing I was going to mention because I need to do my shilling. No, I'm kidding. It's not because I'm doing shilling. It's because, uh, um, I just happened to like, I was going through my catching up on news this morning and I saw, um, the article that I sent you about Microsoft CEO saying that, uh, passwords are a, this is just fun for me to hear is that someone to see him say that passwords are inherent risk for companies. Like it's a big risk for companies and we need to move away from it, which has been, so my own personal experience, I've been, let me put this link in here for everyone. It's Yahoo news. Um, 
Yeah. So, uh, in my personal experience of using like UV keys and using authenticator apps and face ID. And what I've noticed is there's more, and probably everyone's noticed there's more and more, uh, there are more and more applications integrated into those technologies. Like for instance, face ID, um, which makes it less, which makes it easier to log in and less cognitive load of where to store a password, which password to use, how to remember them. I think there's no, I, I there, there is a, there's a point that I'm going to make here because it's circling back to last week, last week's conversation. I think it's going to a point where um, we're trying to offload that, that risk from the user in terms of storing a password. And I say we, as in like the technology industry as a whole, but, uh, it is funny because I was after our podcast, I was having a conversation at work about like web authentic and like new specific, not just web authentic, but new specifications, ways to sort of like, uh, and, and honestly, uh, uh, it's really cool. Like what's possible with browsers now and sort of the secure enclave guarantees, um, and how much you can create like browsers can have a fingerprint that is based off of this hardware that then you can have some pretty decent guarantees of, you know, who was last, the, the last, like the last person to set, to use the browser, like what, um, what fingerprint they left and then identifying them from there. So they don't have to re-enter uh, credentials. And just basically what I'm trying to say is we were talking about last week, how like risk is being offloaded to client side technologies like browsers um, like I said, face ID type stuff with um, put it for the camera. Face ID type stuff for your mobile apps um, to get you logged in and and whatnot. So I don't know, man. I thought it was cool yeah. to see like somebody at the very highest big tech saying we need to get rid of passwords. Like we know it's bad. So it's exciting. Well, and I mean, if you've if you've ever done research into it, like the MFA, like the 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 approval process, right? Like um, there, there's a company based out of Phoenix that I've done some, well, um, that, yeah, it, it's called Trusana is their name. Um, they've got some interesting, uh, it's like you load an app on your phone, you register with them, and then any, any application that, um, integrates with with trusana it'll like it'll it, it's like duo or okta or some of these other providers it'll ping you and you basically have to approve that access um, through the application because they, they there's basically a trust relationship that's set up between trusana knows it's you because you're approving it on your phone and you're logged into your phone or you know whatever like via basically a biometric that you have and then behind the scenes, the you tell the application to trust Trusana, that Trusana will handle that, right? Like, so it, it, again, it goes back to the trust relationship that you have and the passwords that are actually, instead of providing a password, you're providing a uh, authentication through a different mechanism, right? Um, mm. And it's, it's, it's more of a, what do you have versus, you know, what do you know? That's the idea behind it. And I know that, you know, Google and some of the others will do the same thing on a, you know, a second factor of authentication. Uh, but you can use those as the primary factor for logging into a lot to a lot of things, as long as that trust relationship is already set up and you've got that third party that acts as the intermediary there. Um, 
anyway. And your third party doesn't run solar winds. By the yeah. way, uh, <laughs> by the way, I'm so dumb when I, when, God, I, oh, that's no surprise to anybody. Um, Postman Galaxy, right? I'm sitting there and I'm thinking like, like this is a group and I'm not putting together the fact that it's Postman and the name of the damn conference is Galaxy. And I'm just like <laughs> sitting here just shaking my head at myself. Just, what is going on? We need to get out of our house, man. What's going on? Um, yeah, so this is a, uh, that's pretty cool. I didn't realize they, um, they had run those conferences so smoothly. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I know, man. I like, I hope we get rid of passwords soon. Um, that'd be amazing. They're, they're, let's be honest, though. They're not going anywhere. No, like, they're uh, not. Not for a little while. It's, it's like saying XSS is going to disappear or injection attacks are going to disappear. It's once we have the one true framework, Ken, the one true framework. I don't believe in that at all. You know, I don't believe in that at all. I don't at all. There's no adoption. There's no way that I can't even get people to use the same language for the same couple apps for the same, not at work. I'm not talking about at work. I just mean like, we'll say in a general sense. Uh, I can't, uh, I can't, I can't get people to, 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 to stick to some, a certain set of languages sometimes. So it's like, you know, that's fine. Everybody's got their different, that's why that will never work is people need like, unless you were to do that in every, no, because then it would be too opinionated, even if it was in, written in every language and uh, yeah, just be too opinionated for people's choices. So it, it, yeah, the issue is that it, I mean, development is a creative process. Right, exactly. Just like what and, we do, it's creative yeah. process. Yeah, development is a creative process. And the more restrictions you put on development, the less creative that those developers can be and, you, and the less innovation that you actually inspire. So right. as new frameworks, as new languages pop up, it's because they want new tools to do creative things. And, like, and from a security perspective, so security and creativity is, does not mesh well together. I, I, we, we know this um, because we want certain prescriptive controls. We want things in place. We want paved paths so that everyone and like all these developers are doing same things. And we want to enable them to be creative within the guardrails that we put into place. Um, but at times that's just never going to, it's not going to mesh well. I mean, what do you see at most startups? A complete no, lack of security, right? Like, you know, well, I shouldn't say that. A complete lack of security functions, even though the developers build security into those products, right? Um, and right. it's not until they get to a certain size that they put those guardrails in place. But the innovation happens at those early phases, and then they they look at securing it as opposed to, you know, or they yeah. Anyway, so I like I, I just no, you're I'm right. You. It's the most it's the most uh, like innovative point, arguably in most startups. Whereas you, when you first start and then you bring in security who has now, because you've done cool things and people are using your product and they have their requirements. So now you've got compliance, you've got risk, you've got uh, network operations or infrastructure security. And then you start to say, oh, I need to dabble a little bit more in like maybe proactive things like should it be application security, cloud security, whatever. And you start to dabble in that. Next thing you know, you've got requirements and guardrails and those things that are, the guardrails are interesting too, because they're, like you said, they're intended to make it so that you can be creative with 
it's like it's like when my son goes when my son was younger and went bowling we put up those uh those guardrails right the bumpers yeah so yeah. he didn't uh yeah so he didn't i mean i guess in this case uh that was hurt that was to prevent hurting his feelings but you know in this case it's <laughs> it's to prevent hurting your customer base right or yourselves or your brand uh and uh, allows you to do whatever you want, though, within those bumpers or guardrails. So it's intended to allow you to be a bit artistic, but it's still a restriction. You're right. And so it's kind of hard when you, you're like, you know what? I could spin up five microservices real fast that can do all this cool stuff. And one's going to be in Rust and one's going to be in Golang and one's going to be in this. And then, yeah, you uh, security comes in and says, wait a second there. Hold up. We don't have paved paths for some of these things. We don't have requ security requirements you know, I don't know the ins and outs of this language and the, the, the nuances that can really bite us. So you're going to need to you're going to need to filter that down to this list of things. And then there you go. You're right. You've you've taken away a little bit of creativity. Yep. Well, I, I don't know. I, I always go back to kind of the, the the software composition. I'm rolling my eyes, right? Like because I, I was going to say <laughs> I was going to say SCA, but yeah, the software yeah, yeah. composition analysis like third-party analysis tools that are out there and dealing with developers you know putting one of those sca tools the yeah into the pipeline all that it does is it gives them another task and actually slows down development of new features right yeah um, it's the cost of securing an application. It's a cost of having an application on the internet. So it's got to be done. It's important, but it's a, it, it is in direct conflict to actually building new features and, you know, being creative because really like how, how creative it is, is it to go and upgrade, you know, jQuery or wh whatever your application depends on, right? It's, it's just not, it's just a, a maintenance task you probably give it to the interns most of the time, right? Like just in general, I'm going to, you know, and so it's like, we're, that's, that's, that's <laughs> oh, what we're fighting. Man. What? Who was the CEO that blamed the intern? Oh, solar winds. That was solar winds. <laughs> yeah, it was, wasn't it? He's oh, like, Oh, man. we had an intern four years ago that set up a server, put the password as solar winds. One, two, three. Yeah, dude. Yep. You had an intern that, yeah. Yeah, and guess whose fault that is not? The interns. Yeah. <laughs> like oh yeah. But anyways. Yes. That's a that's derail, a completely derailing your point. <laughs> totally derailing you. Four years. Yeah, yeah. Let's not talk about the fact that that password lived for four years in a production yeah. environment. Set up by the intern, of course, right? Like let's Totally the intern's fault. Totally the intern's fault. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And anyway, like But you know, it's 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 your so whether it's speed or I mean like it's de developer speed, because we do talk a lot about I say we like security, like, oh, we're slowing down developers. But I think it's actually what I've learned with time is that it's actually important to focus on just overall anything that makes a developer unhappy. And you know that for the majority, right? There's always new people that are just unhappy in general, but for the majority, the happier you can make them in doing their jobs, um, whether it's a speed that frustrates them, the extra cognitive load of these considerations, maybe it's filling out another review request, whatever the thing is, whatever's making them unhappy. If you make enough developers unhappy, what are you left with? You're left with people that are 
going to leave. They're going to move on. They're going to go somewhere else, somewhere better for, for their development. And what are you going to be left with? Probably people that come in that aren't as good. Like, let's just be honest. That's, that's how you create that environment. And then what happens when they're not as good? More security issues. What happens when there's more security issues? Your team has to grow. And now you have an imbalance. It's either your team grows or they don't. And everyone's also now miserable in security. And so then security is miserable and they start leaving. And you really, so it's just a real, it's like a, every, it's no different than any other, like, uh, kind of reminds me, reminds me of the Phoenix project, looking at things from like a factory floor level. Yeah. One thing affects the other steam rolls into the other. It's, you know, it's, it's developer happiness is incredibly important for many reasons, but that it will make you as a security person happier in your job long-term if they are happy. And we could spend a whole episode breaking that down, but it, it's true. And that's the thing yeah. I've learned, you know, take it for what it's worth over 13 years. So, yeah. Well, and I, I like, I kind of think back to those, um, uh, the episodes that we had with the segment team with Leaf and his, and those guys, right. And how their initial, like anybody that was coming on to the security team actually went and worked with the development team for a sprint, right? Um, mm. To learn what the developers actually go through and what they're doing on a daily basis, like working on features. And uh, because that's it, all that's going to do from an application and product security perspective is give you empathy into what they have to deal with and help them make their lives easier, right? Rather than pushing down a whole bunch of Jira tickets on them that, you know, it, are just going to make them hate you as a security person, right? I, 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 we're getting into this security versus development uh, discussion. And, and I know we've had it multiple times, but it does feel like it's, it's still relevant, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it, cause we still see it at, at so many places and that I still, the I'm still dealing thrive. with it. Yeah. I'm still at work. I mean, like, uh, I don't think I've mentioned this, you know, but I, I'm no longer an IC at GitHub. Uh, so now I manage things and, uh, like one of the things I'm trying to, manage is making is one of the efforts is literally it's it's to make yeah it's for speed kind of efficiency definitely but also just like any place that people are feeling what what you said so i actually sat with someone as they went through that work flow um it was actually a couple of us that sat sat down and it was horrible it was like oh my goodness how many project boards do you have to keep track of how many places do you have to like comment on and and to get your check boxes and to get your thumbs up and stuff so it was a little it was a little ridiculous and it made me, made me feel bad after i really saw what someone was going through and uh so trying to fix that you know and it's so you say we deal with it every day i mean i'm that's that's my job at this point you know is like fixing those types of things so that people aren't miserable and things work smoothly you know, yep. not to say they're just miserable. I'm just saying there's certain processes that can make us all miserable. So. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know. There's not, if you're getting into security, that's, that's what I would recommend though, is going out and becoming like actual friends with the developers. <laughs> Right. Instead of being the security guy that swoops in and drops things on their plate. Um, if you, you know, 
Your girl. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, drop in and like actually go. I, I mean, I this goes I'm back. sorry. I always try to mess with you, Seth. About that <laughs> it's, it's just the old <laughs> habit. I just always try to mess with you. Sorry. Shouldn't troll no, you live. Uh, I troll you live, so it's all good. <laughs> no, what, I, <laughs> what I was going to say, though, is that, uh, you know, think about it from their perspective. The second that, you know, if you are creating a Jira ticket for them and you have access to the source code, damn, dude, go and actually write some source and, you know, show them how to fix it or how you would approach fixing it. Take something off their plate and guess what will happen with those vulnerabilities? They'll get solved way quicker, right? Like the, the because you've put in the time to actually do the research and show that you understand what they have to go through when they get that ticket um, will mean that they put it that they just prioritize it more. Um, the other thing is is you know actually talk to them before you drop a ticket in there that puts you know that disrupts their whole life. Um, make sure that it it fits within the the landscape of what they have to do on a daily basis. Um, I, I don't know how we got onto you know the this topic. I don't know, get. but it probably seems for some folks listening like this is common sense. But honestly, like I will tell you that like eight ish years ago, my opinion was come in, drop shells, fuck shit up, call it a day. That's enough proof. That'll teach people. That'll teach them to secure it. That's how you make. Who needs to make friends when you can just have evidence, you know? And then I grew up. <laughs> you know, I learned a little bit more. So I don't know. Maybe it's obvious to everybody, but you know, to younger me, it was not. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, if we can help out the developers and the new people getting in the industry, so they don't run into that same sort of friction that I, I know I had initially and early on in my career is you know dropping in and telling the developers what to do, even though I didn't understand what library they were using. And I know they rolled their eyes. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know that they did. Yeah. Well, I'll tell yeah. you what, man, you want to, yeah. you, you want evidence, set up a bug bounty. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, sweet. Well, we've covered a lot today. Um, like we said, watch this space. Uh, there is some, you know, hopefully, in-person stuff that's coming within the next period of time. I can't tell you what that actually is going to be. Uh, stealth yet. mode. Stealth, stealth mode. mode. We're going to set up a, a website that just says "coming soon." Yeah. yeah. Yep. Coming soon, twenty twenty. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just a tease. No. Yeah, we're not going to do that. But cool. Yeah. Yeah, man, I don't think we have anything else to cover. Um, we went through our main topics that you and I discussed. So we went off topic a little bit, which I like. And he said tw- 2020. Did we say 2020? I did. We're going. I was trying to make a bad joke. So. Oh, were you? Okay. Oh, gotcha. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. I gotcha. I'm slow on the uptake. I missed that part. Um, I think if we've learned anything today, I'm slow. So it's okay. Um, yeah, man. Uh Anything else you want to mention? Yeah. No, I mean, Dave made a good point. The hard divide between spaces, dev and security, right? Um, But uh, yeah, like the only thing I was going to add is jump into our Slack. I will keep the conversation going there. And um, yeah, but we appreciate the interaction. Um, 
Derek, Ken, everybody that was jumping on today. Um, if you want swag, hit us up. I, we will ship some of that out. Toller, send me an address and I will send yeah. it to you. And I need size for your shirt. And it is a next level brand shirt pre-shrunk. And I don't think there's anything else. Because we've gotten a few questions actually about the shirt stuff. So yeah, it's next yeah. level brand. So I don't know if that helps you, but send it. Send the address and I'll make sure I do my part. For for real though, this this time. <laughs> uh, wait, twice and at least once. Swag, swag, swag. There you go, Derek. All right. Well, I appreciate everybody joining today. Uh, we will catch you all online. We'll see everybody next week. Uh, and we'll, we'll work on getting some um, people lined up to talk about container security and some, some of the other topics that came up today. Um, yeah, sorry. I'm just getting, we need to leave because I'm getting trolled again. <laughs> All right. Sweet. Ciao. Thanks. Bye.